thank you for joining me on this Good Friday. And typically on Good Friday, we have a special Good Friday service at our church commemorating uh, this event. Because of the virus, obviously we're unable to do that right now. And so I thought what I would try to do would be to go live and, and preach a little sermon for you today. Just in, in thinking about our Lord's sacrifice on our behalf, and it's one thing to think about Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. And it's quite another thing to actually follow Jesus. Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, and I'm so grateful he did. But Jesus also requires that you and I take up our cross and follow him. Now, there's really two events that took place this week. Obviously, Good Friday, which is today. And then yesterday was an event that perhaps many of you were unaware of, but 75 years ago yesterday, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hung in a German prison for his part in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and a pastor who, of course, was part of the confessing church that had come out of the mainline church in Germany and and. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very concerned about what he called cheap grace. He, he said that cheap grace was the deadly enemy of the church. And he said, we're fighting for a costly grace. Bonhoeffer would go on and he would describe this, this cheap grace. He said a cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. He's, the sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices, at discount prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance. And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using it and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? And Bonhoeffer goes on in kind of a sarcastic retort toward cheap grace. He says cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth. The love of God taught as the Christian conception of God. An intellectual assent to the, that idea is held to be of itself sufficient to secure remission of sins. The church which holds the correct doctrine of grace has, it is supposed by the fact itself, a part in that grace. In such a church the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required. Still less any desire, real desire, to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to a denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. Cheap grace means justification of sin without justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it were before. All for sin could not atone. The world goes on in the same old way. And we are still sinners even in the best life. Let the Christian rest content in his worldliness. And with this renunciation of any higher standard than the world. 
He is doing it for the sake of the world rather than for the sake of grace. Let him be comforted and rest assured in his possession of this grace. For grace alone does everything. Instead of following Christ, let the Christian enjoy the consolations of his grace. That is what we mean, Bonhoeffer wrote, by cheap grace. The grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the repentant sinner who departs from sin and from whom sin departs. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace, Bonhoeffer said, is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism, without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just have a grace that I've bestowed upon myself, but I desperately need the grace of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham, he said, Christ did not suffer and die to offer cheap grace, Jesus did not go willingly to the cross so we could have an easy life or to offer a faith built on easy believism. As someone once said, salvation is free, but not cheap. It cost Jesus his life. And that's exactly what it did. It cost Jesus his life. Now, just prior to Jesus going to the cross to die for our sins, in Luke chapter 14, as Jesus was preparing to head to the cross, he laid out the terms of discipleship. As Oswald Chambers, that great author of, of My Utmost for His Highest, which was really compiled from his teachings by his wife after Chambers passed away, Oswald Chambers in that best-selling devotional book of all time, he said discipleship means personal, passionate devotion to a person. Our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a vast difference between devotion to a person and devotion to principles or to a cause. Our Lord never proclaimed a cause. He proclaimed personal devotion to himself. To be a disciple is to be a devoted love slave of the Lord Jesus Many of us, Oswald Chambers said, who call ourselves Christians are not devoted to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly why Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 14, as he's headed to the cross, in Luke 14, Jesus clearly lays out the terms of discipleship. And I want to read from Luke 14 for you this morning. We're told that now great crowds accompany Jesus. And he turned to them and he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise... When he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. 
So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears, let him hear. Now the context of this passage, as I mentioned, Jesus is headed to the cross. He's on that final journey to Jerusalem where he's going to lay down his life and shed his blood on our behalf on Good Friday. The crowds were gathering. They were gathering larger and larger. But Jesus, unlike most preachers today, he wasn't concerned about gathering a large crowd. He was concerned about followers of him following him wholeheartedly. He didn't preach self-help messages of pop psychology. Jesus laid out the terms of discipleship and he made it clear that he requires total commitment. Jesus said, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see this, this morning or this afternoon I should say, in order to follow Jesus, it requires, Jesus requires that there be no rivals to our affection for him. If we're going to follow Jesus, he must be supreme in our lives. In fact, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This means that we must surrender every human relationship to Jesus Christ. Every other relationship must come beneath our relationship with Jesus he requires that he be first, that he be supreme. There can be no rivals. In fact, Jesus said we've got to hate our own parents, our own relatives. And when he, when he says that, he's using a Semitic term, which simply means that we must love every other person less than we love him. There can be no rival to our affection for Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says, he who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You see, this afternoon, on this, on this Good Friday, I should say, on this Good Friday, Jesus requires that every relationship that we have must not rival our affection for him. I love my wife. I love my children. But I must love Jesus more. We must surrender every relationship to Jesus. One man put it this way. He said all relationships, no matter how intimate, must be secondary to our relationship with Christ. To hate one's family means to be so committed to Christ that however much it costs me to be away from that circle, I must cut myself ruthlessly from its comfort and follow him barefoot across rocky pathways. Again, there must be no rivals to our affection for Jesus Christ. I love the story of Tertullian of Carthage. Tertullian was a pastor there in Carthage in northern Africa around the year 200 AD. At that time, Rome ruled the world. 
The Roman emperor was requiring that every Roman citizen at least once a year had to burn incense, pinch incense, and say that Caesar was Lord. Well, obviously that competes with our relationship with Christ. We cannot proclaim anyone else to be Lord of our life other than Jesus Christ. So some of Tertullian's parishioners came to him and they came to their pastor and they said, Tertullian, we must burn incense even though we're Christians. We have to do it. We won't mean it, but we'll just do it. And Tertullian's response to them was to ask them a question. He said, why? Why do you think you have to burn incense? And they said, well, because we have to work. And Tertullian said, well, why do you have to work? And they said, well, because we have to eat. And Tertullian said, well, why do you have to eat? And they said, well, you have to eat in order to live. And their pastor said to them, why do you have to live? No, you don't have to work. You don't have to eat. And you don't have to live. The only thing you have to do is be faithful to God. Listen to me this afternoon. There must be no rivals to our affection to Jesus Christ on this Good Friday. He requires that we follow him to the cross. And we lay down our, our relationships with others on the cross. And there be no rival to our affection for him. Jesus said, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You see, Good Friday, Jesus died for us. But you and I must also lay down our lives for him. In order to follow Jesus, there can be no rivals. But secondly, there also can be no refusal. There can be no refusal. We cannot, if we don't bear his cross and come after him, we cannot be his disciple. We must take up our cross and follow him in every area of our lives. You see, a cross in the Roman world meant one thing. It wasn't a nice piece of jewelry that you hung around your neck. It wasn't a nice decoration that you hang on the wall. A cross meant one thing, and that was a place to die. And Jesus, when he says that we must take up our cross and follow him, he meant that you and I must die to ourselves and what we want, and we must not have any area in our life that we refuse to lay down in order to follow him. The Apostle Paul said that he died daily. In Romans chapter 6, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, over and over again, Paul talks about death and how Christ died, and then how you and I must die and not allow sin to reign in our bodies. But we must have no area of refusal in following Jesus Christ. You cannot follow Jesus and still commit willful sin. You cannot follow Jesus and refuse to die to yourself. We must turn from sin. We must turn from self. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Can you say with the Apostle Paul that you are crucified with Christ on this Good Friday? It may be that it's time for you to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Leonard Ravenhill, that great preacher of yesteryear, he said, we pray that some of us may go to our own funeral tonight and die to self and end all the failure and all the weakness. You see, I believe the reason why so many struggle in their spiritual life is there's areas of refusal in their heart. There's areas that are off limits to Christ. They want to follow Jesus on one hand, but they want to live for themselves and what they want on the other hand. But Jesus said, we've got to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. Now the problem with a living sacrifice is when you put something alive up on the altar and the flames begin to burn. If there's a living sacrifice, the tendency of that sacrifice is to jump off the altar in order to protect itself. But Jesus wants you and I to live our lives as a living sacrifice where daily, like the Apostle Paul, we die to ourselves and live for him. We count ourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. Is there any area in your life that you refuse to give up the rights to? Jesus requires your full surrender. There can be no refusal. There can be no rivals. And there can be no retreat. Jesus talks about someone building a tower. And he said, if you're going to build a tower, surely you'll make sure you have the resources to be able to finish the building. So that people don't mock you when your building sets their half done. Or he talks about a king. He says, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet someone who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. In other words, if you're going to go to battle, you want to make sure you can win. And the point that Jesus is making is that in our lives as Christians, there can be no area of retreat. We have to overcome. We have to finish over and over again throughout Scripture. We're told that we must finish the race. We must complete the journey. We can't take, put our hand to the plow and look back. In fact, that's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. He says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The apostle Peter talks about those who like a dog return to their vomit. We can't retreat. We can't go back to the old life. We must with Jesus go to the cross and die to ourselves and live every day as living sacrifices. There's lots of reasons why people retreat. I've known people who at one time had a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. But perhaps because of money, they began to retreat. They wanted a better job. They wanted more income. And so they, they gave up what Christ had called them to do in order to pursue money. They retreated because of money. I've known others who've retreated because of sex. 
that that desire overwhelmed them and they gave in and they're giving in and they still want maybe on one hand to follow Jesus, but on the other hand, they know they've retreated in their spiritual life. There can be no turning back. Jesus wants us to lay down our lives and follow him until we cross from this life to the next. And on that great resurrection day, when he resurrects our bodies, what a day that's going to be. But until then, we must not retreat. And so my question for you this afternoon is, is your life fully surrendered to Jesus? You see, Good Friday is about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and offering us grace. Oh, and I'm grateful for that grace. But I don't want cheap grace. Bonhoeffer said cheap grace is grace that we bestow upon ourselves. And here's what I fear. I fear there are many people, probably even some who are right now watching this sermon, who've bestowed upon themselves cheap grace. But Bonhoeffer said we're contending for a costly grace. Costly grace costs Jesus his life. And if we're going to follow Jesus, it will cost our life. There can be no rivals. There can be no refusal. There can be no retreat. Have you taken up your cross on this Good Friday? And are you following Jesus? You see, that's what he came to make possible for us to do. The reason he laid down his life on Good Friday was so that you and I could lay down our lives and follow him wholeheartedly. My question for you is, have you surrendered your life fully and completely to the one who laid down his life for you? Whoever of you who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. That is the message of the cross. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ died. I'm thankful that he shed his blood and extended grace to you and me. But that grace requires that we turn from our sin and we turn by faith to him. That grace requires that we take up our cross and follow after him. That grace requires that we lay down ourselves on the altar. And as a living sacrifice, we present ourselves wholly and completely to Him. Because that's the only reasonable thing that we can do when we consider what Christ did for us on Good Friday. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we in turn lay down our lives for him. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're watching, I want to encourage you right now. If there's any sin in your life, if there's any area in your life that you've had no trespassing signs on, I want to encourage you as I pray just to simply confess your sin to Christ and just surrender yourself fully and completely to him. Jesus, I thank you for Good Friday. I thank you for what it's all about. I thank you for coming into this world, living a perfect life, 
and then suffering and dying on the cross for our sins. And Lord, you know those that may be out there in Facebook land right now, that maybe in their life they may not know you as their Savior. They know full and well that they've not given their life to you. And if there's those that are like that, I pray that right now you would help them just to humble themselves before you and confess their sins and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I confess my sin and I repent of my sin. And I turn by faith to you. And Lord, we know that you are a God who is forgiving. And I thank you for that. And then Lord, there may be some out there in Facebook land who, who perhaps they haven't surrendered their life fully and completely to you. Perhaps on one hand they're trying to walk with you, but on the other hand they're, they're wanting to live for themselves. I pray that if there's those like that, that you would help them to just attend their own funeral right now and die to themselves and surrender their life to you and take up their cross and follow after you. And Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. I thank you for watching. I apologize for the confusion and the fact that I started later than I intended. Actually, I started on time, but none of you could see it. But I do thank you for watching. May God bless you. I hope you have a wonderful Easter weekend. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. May God bless you.